We've been walking through a series called Life Hacks, and we're wrapping up the book of James today and uh, landing on this last section in James chapter five. You can get ahead of me if you want to. And talking about prayer and talking about the power of prayer and how we pray and what prayer is. And, and uh, I realized that eventually we're gonna really have to dive deep into this thing of, of prayer. It's not a one Sunday kind of a discussion, but we're gonna talk about it in terms of what James is talking about today. And, and uh I gotta just tell you, man, I have been so excited. I have felt like we have been in such a fun season of God just showing up and it, it kind of this, this second Celebration Center 2.0, what God's doing right now, right here in this place. And we've been praying and seeing God's hands move. Uh, many of you last week, uh, you, you filled out cards uh, and, uh, and gave them to us to pray. I think I've been praying for about 44 or 45 people uh, this week that turned in cards and praying for you, praying for I won't say what I've been praying for. Some of you may not want that all out there, but uh, all kinds of just stuff and just really believing in the power of prayer. And uh, what's, what's ironic and funny, and I don't know if I want this in the podcast, but it'll just be in there, so that, that's it. The other piece God's really been wrestling with me on is, is this, uh, uh, the idea of fasting and beginning to just deny ourselves for a season to hear God's voice better. Um, as a matter of fact, I am building. So, so if you don't know this about me, I build way, way out in advance. And so I have 2018 right now charted uh, where we're going, topics, what we're gonna say, uh, kind of where, where I'm hearing from the Lord we're gonna do. And in that first quarter, 2018, uh, just really wanting to commit to hear God's voice in prayer and in fasting. I have three books on my on my uh, uh, desk right now or somewhere scattered around my office about, about praying and fasting, just trying to hear God's voice through the word of God, trying to hear from experts, just trying to press into whatever that next, uh, that next thing is. Why? Because I think it's incredibly important that we learn how to hear God's voice and obey and that we partner with God and experience the power that happens when we pray and when we partner with God and what he wants to do in us and through us. And I believe that if we got a hold of that, it would transform us it would change our hearts, it would change our lives, it would change the way we interacted with the world, and it may actually change this church, this community, this neighborhood, and beyond. And so that's where the power is. So why wouldn't we go there? Um, all of that to say, prayer is this crazy thing. Because statistics tell us that almost everybody prays. When they do surveys and they ask people who believe in Jesus. They ask people uh, across the world who believe in other faiths. They ask people who don't believe in anything. Almost overwhelmingly, everybody admits to some type of prayer. Even like, God, help me hit green light so I get to work on time. If you're really up there, from that all the way across the board. God, help me with this test, whatever it is, right? Statistically, people pray. But if everybody's praying, then what's happening when we pray? And what impact does it have when we pray? I remember early on on my kind of journey with Jesus, prayer was this very mystical, confusing thing. I remember being at a summer camp. The first time I ever saw someone pray and saw God move in the same moment. And watching someone lay hands on someone and pray and seeing them get well when they were injured and seeing health and, and healing come. And I, I began to go, wow, that's amazing. I also remember the first time I prayed for something and it didn't happen. Going, uh, I must not have this figured out. Someone else must, but whatever I'm doing, I'm doing wrong. 
But just in case you're listening, help me land the girl, help me pass the test, help me, right? Here's the list of things I'd love help with, God, if you're up there, just in case. And we have a lot of just in case praying people in the world, kind of throwing up prayer like fire insurance, just saying, I don't know, but if you're out there, just in case. The problem is once we get talking about prayer, it raises a lot of questions. And when I prayed and it didn't work, it made me ask some questions about prayer. Some of the questions that I began to ask was like, is prayer even important? Does prayer matter? Does it really make a difference if I pray or if I don't pray? Anyways, doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God know the desires in my heart? Isn't he living in my heart? Why do I have to actually pray if God already knows everything? And not only doesn't God know everything, doesn't God already know what's going to happen? And since he's outside of time, sees the whole picture, what difference does it make when I pray? And so the question got me wondering, so many people are praying, does it even matter? I remember being on sports teams and praying, God help us win the game. And God help no one over there be praying. I pray that they're a bunch of heathens. I want them all to get saved, but next week, this week, I pray you hate them. And reject them from your kingdom and elevate our team to success, right? <laughs> what is that? I always laughed at that later in life, just wondering, so what if there's a guy on that team praying? Is God picking favorites up there? How is he doing that? So I began wondering, does prayer work? Does prayer matter? Why would we pray? How do we pray? Should we pray? And then I look into this incredible book. And it's filled with examples of men and women who prayed. Moses prayed. David prayed. Joshua prayed. Abraham prayed. Fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus, son of God, perfect, prays. In fact, he prayed so often, his disciples said, hey, help us with that. And guess what they end up doing? They pray. Paul prays. In fact, in Ephesians chapter three, I believe it is, he says, I, for this reason, I get down on my knees and I pray that you'll experience power and strength on your inward parts. Paul says, I stop everything. I get down on my knees and I pray for you. And then he wraps up the letter in Ephesians chapter six and he says, pray for me. Pray that I'll have boldness and courage to declare the word of God that's inside of me boldly. Certainly he believes it is significant and important that not only he prays for us to be strengthened and experience power, but that we pray backwards, upwards to our leaders and pray for them to be strong. So I look in this book and it's filled with example after example of men and women who pray. Yet I look out at across the world and I look at people and I go, well, then what are we doing here? And then I start asking big Scary, hard questions. Do I really believe prayer matters? I see that it seems to matter. But do I really believe it? Because here's the dilemma I have. If I really believe that prayer matters, then I'll do it all the time. Not just some of the time. Not just when I'm in crisis. All the time. Like all the time. I've been praying. So Paul says pray without ceasing. What is he talking about? 
He's saying every part of your life, pray continually, every part of your life should be bathed and soaked and drenched in prayer. So if I'm saying that I believe prayer works, but I don't do it very often, why don't I do it? I don't believe it works. Or I don't believe it's important. So I feel this tension in my own heart, in my own life. If I really believed it worked, I would do it all the time. Because let's face it, it's not that difficult. It doesn't require that much of me. It doesn't even require a ton of time. It doesn't require special circumstance. It just requires me taking a second, slowing down and saying, God, I need you. But if I believed it worked, I'd do it. And here I am wondering, why don't I do it all the time? Because here's the thing about prayer. If you don't catch anything else today, catch this, and then you can tune me out. Totally okay with that. Get your phone out. Pretend like you're taking notes. Check your Facebook. I don't care. Don't miss this part. Prayer is a prerequisite for power. All throughout the scriptures, all throughout the story of God interacting with mankind, every time power is on display, every time the spirit of God shows up, every time something like that happens, prayer is the prerequisite for God's power. And with that knowledge, and armed with that knowledge, it should change our entire approach to prayer. You know, there's a story in Acts chapter 12. And James, not James, the author that we're about to uh, deal with here, the brother of Jesus, the other very famous James, James, the brother of John, one of the three disciples who was kind of the inner circle of Jesus's posse, Peter, James, and John. That James gets killed. Acts chapter 12, Herod says, tired of all these religious rabble rousers, and he has James arrested and executed. That pleases the Jewish contingent so much. They're so excited about that because James is immensely popular. Inner circle, top three guys with Jesus. That he gets ambitious and he goes and has Peter arrested. And it says Peter gets arrested and the church freaks out. They're down one great leader already. They're a baby young church. And now Peter's arrested and something happens. You can read the, read the story. But it says that the church started praying. And something happened for Peter that didn't happen for James. The Spirit of God shows up. Some of you know the story. There's like an earthquake. There's a jailbreak. Guards are getting saved. People are getting saved. It's a miracle. Peter's rescued and saved. What ignites that power? The only indication we have in the scripture is the church started praying. People started praying. And when they prayed according to God's plan, the power was released. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we have every indication that prayer unlocks access to God's power. And if we believe that, if we see that in the word and we see that pattern happening, then all of a sudden, this question of, do we pray? Becomes pretty important. Becomes a pretty big deal. We can't just blow by this. And then knowing how to pray and what to pray and knowing just what this thing is becomes pretty critically important because you have access just like I have access to power. And if you have access to power, you better know what you're doing. So we get to the book of James and I'm in James chapter five in the closing remarks around verse 13. And we've been walking through this letter and I gotta tell you, uh, you know, we've been doing a series on life hacks 
and uh, just some of the practical implications of the things that James wrote. And uh, if you're just jumping in, you can catch the podcast, but we've talked a lot about how James is Jesus's brother, how he was a late adapter to the faith, not an early adapter. He didn't come around to believing Jesus was who he says he was until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But James had a unique perspective, having grown up in the same household as Jesus. The church explodes on the scene in Acts chapter two, and the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem is James, the brother of Jesus. He's immensely popular, He's immensely influential in the Jewish culture. He's a Jew among Jews. They love him. And uh, not only that, he is the first pastor of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. It's James. As a matter of fact, we see in the book of Acts that Paul, when he's figuring out this thing that he's about to do and going on this ministry uh, journey of planting churches, he goes and spends time with James. And so when we talked about kind of Paul's philosophy and James's philosophy on faith and works and all those kinds of things, how they don't really, they don't really clash if you understand that they were partners in this, talking to a different audience about a different thing. So James writes this incredible letter, and I've read the book of James a ton of times as, as we've been doing this series, and I just love the letter. I love, I love that James just opens with, to all the tribes that are scattered everywhere, hello. It's awesome when you've experienced persecution. Like, that's how he opens the letter. You know you're just pastoring without any filters when you just say, everybody out there, this is me. It's great when you go through hard times. That builds up in you perseverance. And you're gonna need that to stand the trials that you're gonna go through. And then he goes on and says, and you're gonna need wisdom. You're gonna need the kind of wisdom that only comes from God. And when you ask for that wisdom. Don't you dare doubt. Don't be double-minded. Don't be, uh, excuse me, God, if you don't mind, maybe you might want to. He says, you go to God boldly and you say, I need the thing that you provide. I need wisdom. He says, that's available for you. Then he looks out at this audience of churches that are going to be hearing this and receiving this. And he goes, and you guys who have had access to the word of God, whose foundation and culture is rooted in the Old Testament and the story of God. And now you're hearing about the truth of Jesus fulfilling all those things. You don't get to just listen and not do anything. That's incompatible. It's inconsistent to say you're a believer in the word of God and not a doer of the word of God. Those two things don't go together. He says, don't do that. Knock that off. And then he goes on to say, hey, you know what? That loaded weapon, your mouth, don't point that at someone and destroy them with it. Use it to build them up. Be wise. The same fountain can't have salt and clear water. You better use that thing to build people up. There is destructive power in it, and, and you got to be careful how you manage that. And while you're at it, don't you pick favorites either. And don't you look at how some people have been blessed in the earthly realm and think they're more significant in the spiritual realm. God doesn't play favorites that way. You don't do that either. You can see the Papa Bear, pastor of James, as he's walking through this. And we get to the end of the letter and he's wrapping this up. He's tying a bow on it. He's been talking about how do you talk from God? How do you hear from God? How do you have wisdom? How do you live it out? How do you put feet on your faith? And he wraps it up talking about the power of prayer. So in James chapter five, verse 13, we get into the story his final thoughts, so to speak. And he says, hey, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Let's hold it right there for a second. 
I love this. James is pastoring a big church and he's writing to an even bigger audience. And there's this thing that happens. And you know this is true. You've been in groups or churches or whatever. And if something's happening in the, in, in the circle of influence that you're involved in, you think that's just rampaging through the whole place. So if you have two friends in the church and they're both struggling with their marriages, you go, oh man, this is a church where everybody's struggling with their marriage. It happens, right? But if you were in another group where two people just got engaged, one person just got like, you'd be like, oh, this is a church where it's filled with young families and new families and anything. Like your perspective is limited to your relational circle. And James recognizes that. So he's writing to a church that has a whole broad range of perspectives. For some of them, some people are struggling. He's saying, I got something for you. But for others, it's the good times. They're just finding out about faith. There's young believers they are coming on. They're beginning to hear from God for the first time and understand and accepting their identity. And they have reason to celebrate. And so in the concluding remarks of his letters, like any good pastor, he's just saying, hey, not everybody's in the same boat. And whatever boat you're in, here's the answer. You learn to go to God. You learn to talk to God. You learn to hear from God. So he says, any of you in trouble? Now, the word for trouble there is, uh, it's fun to say. I'll try to say it because it is fun to say. It's keikopatheo. It's pretty good, right? Keikopatheo. But the implication is literally any kind of trouble. Any kind of trouble. Could be sickness. Could be health-related. Could be emotional. Could be spiritual. Could be physical. Could be financial. He paints a wide brush here. He says, listen. Trouble is going to come to you, and it's going to take many forms. You know what the answer is every time? Prayer. Got physical trouble? Prayer. Financial trouble? Prayer. Emotional trouble? Prayer. Relational trouble? Prayer. If you're going to face the things that you're facing in life, and you want to be prepared, and you want to access the power of God, your first step Maybe not your only step. There's going to be other steps along the way. But your primary first knee-jerk gut reaction needs to be, oh, I'm in trouble. Jesus. Some of you feel guilty because you feel like the only time I pray, I'm in trouble. I got this part down. Let me remove the guilt. James is clear. That's when you should pray. Don't go, oh, I haven't been talking to God when I was in the good times, and now I'm in trouble, so I can't talk to him now. Are you kidding me? What a small, irresponsible picture of God that is. Who James and Jesus both point to loving us with a paternal fatherly love. Can I just talk to parents for a second? If your kid's in trouble, like real trouble, let's say, let's go young kids. You're standing in the house and you hear a scream outside and your kid's in trouble. Do you first go, well... Just really disappointed in my kid lately. They haven't, like, they didn't appreciate. I made dinner yesterday. They didn't say thanks. I was like, uh, you know, they didn't clean their room. Like, you don't, you don't go through a mental checklist before you go to the rescue of your child who's in trouble. Right? You go through the window if you have to. You grab a kitchen knife and you run because your kid's out in the front yard screaming. And you don't know what's going on. And James is like, when you're in trouble, call dad. Call your father. Access him. Yeah, we got this mentality. Well, I didn't tell him thanks for dinner yesterday, so 
probably doesn't want to hear about the fact that I'm, you know, stuck in it now. No. It's absurd thinking. It's absurd. I also love this. He says, if you're in trouble, you should pray. It's your responsibility. Sometimes we get this, I was in trouble and nobody prayed for me. Victim mentality. I was in trouble and nobody called and nobody sent a letter. Nobody, he's like, hey, you're the one in trouble. Go to your father. Own it. Own it. So anyways, then he says the next side, and I love this because James, again, he's seeing both sides. He's like, are you happy? Sing some songs of praise. Get your voice connected to your joy and declare it. Sometimes I think we get to church and if we're in a good season and we're happy and things are going well, we feel like we got to bury that because we know that not everybody is in an awesome season. You're like, I just got the job, but I won't talk about it right now. We'll talk about it later, right? I've been praying forever and this thing happened and I'm so excited, but I know you're going through a hard time right now. So I'm just going to kind of you know, put it over here on the shelf. James like, no, 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 no. Let that burst out of you. It should be in you to be so grateful to dad when your things go well that you can't hold it in. You know, I was thinking about, I don't have a great voice. That's not, a, that's not new news. That's just a thing, right? But I love singing. I love making up song. I was making up a song this morning. I heard some secular song and I didn't know any of the words and I was just making up funny songs to it because I got the beat stuck in my head, right? I'm just walking around the building. Why? Because I got joy. And I'm excited to be here and I'm excited for what God's gonna do. I was, uh, uh, several years ago, when we were planning the church, I couldn't get a job for a long, long time. I was unemployed forever. And the first job I got was at Hollywood, not Hollywood Video, that was before. I got a job at Regal Cinemas, the movie theater. And I was closing the movie theater at night. And if you've never closed a movie theater at night, I just gotta tell you, you've missed out on absolutely nothing. <laughs> it is a drag, right? It's a bummer of a job because you count every single cup and they got thousands of them, right? You count every, they audit everything. It's just, ah, oh, it's like the, the most joyless thing to do at the end of the day. During the day, it's okay, but at the end of the day, it's just the worst, right? And so everybody would be gone and I'd be counting and doing things. So I'm in charge, you know, for my whopping 9.75 an hour, I'm in charge of this, you know, multi-million dollar facility. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm counting things out and I'm just singing, just belting it out. Nobody's around. I don't know what I'm singing. I'm just making up words and doing it. And I got all these teenagers who have been there longer than me and uh, have more time in than I have, but I'm the old guy that's there, but I'm in the suit, so they're all looking at me. And, and I'm just singing, and I'm having fun. And I remember they would come in and I'm just like, man, how do you come to this place and have that much joy? Because they know, like you reek of popcorn and bad choices, like you smell of all that stuff. <laughs> the combination of all that stuff, right? And, uh, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just got joy. I'm so happy to be working. I was unemployed for so long. We're going to plant a church. It's going to be amazing. God's doing something. I don't know what he's going to use this for, but he's got a plan for my life. Just like he's got a plan for your life. So let's just sing whatever we're going to sing. And you watch, man, we planted that church and person after person, all these college age and teenager kids are showing up at church, never been to church before. Why? Because they just got around somebody who was joyful, who went into a circumstance where every day they were like, oh, and you walked in and we're just like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm breathing, I'm making money, my kids are gonna eat, this is awesome. I mean, my 13th pound of popcorn on the day, just living off popcorn. It's awesome. 
He says, if anyone's happy, let them sing songs of praise. Let them. Don't snuff it out. Don't squish somebody's joy. Don't stomp on it. Don't go, hey, 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 here, this is, we're serious here, guys. We're serious. This is in the place you come in and sing silly stuff and get all excited and happy. Don't you know we have to pick up our cross and carry it? Right? And yes, that's true, but gosh, we've got we to have joy. We should enjoy this. This should be one of the best times of our lives. We have, we have in a place where we're free to come together and sing songs and declare our praise to God. We got a family that's supporting us, that loves us. We got the chance to get to one, know one another. We're on the, on, the, on the cusp of seeing God do just incredible, amazing new things. That's awesome. So sing some songs of praise. Quit being a fuddy-duddy. James's words, so to speak. <laughs> He says these two groups aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have one group over here. Okay, sit over here if you're somber and sad. Sit over here if you're joyful. It's like, nah, they're scared. I experience both things. Here's the recipe for each circumstance. God's available for you. Where am I at? Well, verse 14. All right. One verse down. Let's go. <laughs> he goes, hey. <laughs> If any one of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. I love this. It's like, here's what you do with sick people. You pray. You believe. You invite God. You bring people who are further ahead in their race, who are established in faith, and you say, hey, I have need. Would you pray for me? And I love it again. He goes, that person should call up the elders of the church. They should initiate, hey, I'm sick. Didn't you read my Facebook status? Why didn't you show up at my house? <laughs> no. He says, you go. And you say, hey, I need some prayer. I need some. Would you pray with me? Would you anoint me with oil? Would you call on the name of the Lord? He says, you got to do that. This is a question we ask all the time. Do we really believe Jesus heals today? We do. We absolutely 100% do. And there's a mystery in the scripture of why and when Jesus heals. Even Jesus, who every time he prayed for the sick, they recovered, didn't pray for every sick person he saw. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. It's a mystery, but it's never a reason to not go deep and believe that God can do what his word says he can do and will do what his word says he will do. So we pray for the sick. Sometimes there's a question mark. I mean, it's been happening for 2,000 years, so it happens today that, well, maybe the thing that's bothering you, that's ailing you is something you just kind of deserve. Maybe it's the result of your bad choices and your bad behavior. And biblically, there's a precedence that, that because we are one thing, that sometimes our bad choices do manifest themselves into physical ailments. You know this, been stressed all the time, have a heart attack, right? Sometimes our, our choices do have, our, our, our spiritual and, and metaphysical choices do have physical, actual consequences, and James addresses that, sometimes, but not always. And so we never jump to conclusions or assumptions, we just believe the word of God, and we pray. And we pray. 
Verse 15, it says, in the prayer that's offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And if he sinned, here it is, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you hear James pastoring all across the nation, tribes that are scattered? And he's like, listen, some of the times that you need prayer, the healing that you need, the resolution and the thing that would solve it is if you got out of the mess that you've put yourself in. Sometimes it's just because we're in a broken world and people get sick. Sometimes it's totally a mystery, but sometimes it's connected to stuff that's going on in your heart and in your life, to choices that you've been making, to addictions that you've been connected to, that you have to break those patterns. So come to the elders and confess the thing that's holding you back. Deal with that experience, freedom, healing, and wholeness. It's available. James wants to make sure you get that. Don't miss that piece. Don't micro out that piece. Don't say, well, you know, that piece isn't significant. James is like, no, 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 no. That's why it's important that you're part of a body, that you're part of a small group, that you're in a circle with people who love you and know you, who are in your world, that you feel safe. Because you can't just uh, practically walk around confessing everywhere. First of all, people will run from you. If you start walking in the door, hey, everybody just want to let you know I had a bad week. My language has been wicked bad. People are going to be like, nice, just deuces. I'm out. I, got, I hear my kid crying. I got to go. <laughs> right? You got to be in community with people who you know, who you love, who you can go deep with, who you can trust, that you have a relationship with, so you can get face-to-face with them and say, listen, God's working on me, and I'm, I'm not finished yet, I'm not perfect, but I keep coming back and around to this bad thinking that shouldn't be in my life, that shouldn't be in my heart, and I keep listening to this voice that's telling me I'm not good enough, that's causing me to make decisions I shouldn't make, that's causing me to compromise. I know in the word of God I shouldn't make this compromise, but it's just been so much easier to make this compromise, but I understand that it's connected to the stress and the the trouble and the pain and the tribulation that I find myself in right now. And you're my brother. You're my sister. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Would you hold me up in prayer? Because prayer is how I access the power of God. I need you. And we're in a circle of life together. And God designed us to function that way. He wants you to function that way. He wants me to function that way. He wants his body to function that way. When you're struggling, when you're in trials, when you're going through a tough time, when you're battling an addiction, when you're battling a sickness and a tough time, when you're battling a relational explosion, when your marriage is on the rocks, when your financial situation is getting out of control, your instinct is going to be to withdraw and hide that. And James is like, that's a trap. That's the wrong way to go. Freedom's on the side of walking towards the people who I've assigned in your life, who I've put into circles. You're like, I'm not in any circles. That's on you. Get in a circle. Get into some relationship. Last week, I challenged you, and I said, hey, if you haven't spent time with someone, you've been missing them for a while, you need to make a lunch date with them this week. You need to go out with them after church or make a plan. If you haven't visited with your small group, schedule a barbecue, get together with them this week. Do something to be in relationship with some people today because you're designed for that. Make margin. You need it, or who are you going to confess to? I don't take confessions. It's not my deal. You can't just book time. I'm not sitting here behind some thing. I'm not making fun of that. It's just not what I do. 
Your model, the biblical model, how we do that is you get together with people, you're in relationship, your ecclesia, your group of body of believers who are called and set apart to do God's best and plan that you're part of a family with and you go there with them. James is just like, come on, guys. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Now, I'm going to hack and slash this thing because of time. I was going to take us over to Jesus and him talking about prayer, but I'm just going to paraphrase it for you because Jesus, at the end of the Beatitudes, talks about prayer. At the end of his big sermon, he talks about prayer. And he says, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. Don't pray for attention. He goes, go get in your closet, in your room, kneel down before your father who's in heaven and have an honest conversation. And don't keep babbling over and over and over again like there's some kind of mantra that will get you to where you want to get. That's not how you do it. He says, when you pray, just say, hey, father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I can imagine the, because here's the thing. He uses the term Abba, which means daddy. And some of you heard this before, but I just want you to catch. It was not a foreign concept for the Jewish culture to, re, to refer to God as father, but they didn't refer to him like daddy. They referred to him like the father of all things, the father of creation, the father of the whole world, right? But Abba, Abba was a word that children used when they were calling for their parent. It was intimate and personal and relational. And Jesus says, when you pray, Abba, say, Dad, I need you. I need you. And sometimes some of us believe that the key is to just memorize the Lord's Prayer and just chant it. But he just got done saying it's not a mantra that, that don't babble, don't repeat things over and over again. Now, the Lord's Prayer is great. You should pray the Lord's Prayer. It's amazing and there's everything that's in there is good in the words of God but it's not a mantra it's not something you just chant to kind of invoke the power of God it's just the word of God so we pray it and believe it but if you look in Luke I think it's Luke chapter what 11 um, Jesus is uh, teaching the same principles and he's on a, a hillside and he's praying and his disciples are like teach us this thing you do when you pray and it's the other places Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then he, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give each of us our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. That's the whole thing. It's not quite the whole Lord's Prayer. Jesus says the principles are the same, but the wording isn't the most important piece. It's the heart. Father, we need you. Help us with our sin. Help us to forgive. Get us out of the muck that we put ourselves and provide for us. We trust you. We want to access the power of God. Jesus modeled it. Some of you are stuck. You're like, I don't know how to pray. He's like, well, the answer isn't you just get up in front and start babbling and shouting. The answer isn't swinging your arms really hard, interlocking fingers. <laughs> That's not the answer. The answer is you get personal and private with your father. You go in your room, you shut the door, you make some time. Paul says, I kneel before the father. James, we haven't talked about this. James has a nickname, the brother of Jesus, not just James, the brother of Jesus. They actually called him Camel Knees James because he had historically knobby knees from kneeling and praying all the time. He had bad knees. So James knows what he's talking about. 
when he says, you got to spend time in prayer. You have to access prayer. So James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And in verse 17, he makes that make sense. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. And I love this. Some version says with a nature just like us. Now, why is that significant? Well, you have to know who Elijah is. If you don't know who Elijah is, Elijah is the Batman of the Old Testament. He's the superhero of the Old Testament. He has the best stories of all the stories of the Old Testament. You think the plagues are amazing? You haven't read Elijah. First Kings 18, go there, have some fun. Elijah is Batman. So this culture, they would have grown up on stories of Elijah. Their kids would probably dress like Elijah and fight and play in the yard, right? Like Elijah's a superhero for them. This is a guy that calls down fire from heaven and battles out the prophets of Baal. Ravens come and feed him when he's hungry. He prays, James says, earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Can you imagine that kind of power? Oh, I pray for that power. God, give us a break from the rain. How often do we pray that? Now you gotta remember Elijah is living in the desert. And when he prays for no rain, we're talking life and death. Not just, can I play baseball? But it, James says, points at Elijah, he points at Batman. He points at a hero that all of this culture would have. And he says, that guy was just like you and just like me. And when he prayed, he did it earnestly and honestly and sincerely before the Lord. There's nothing in Elijah that doesn't exist in you. It says, again, he prayed, verse 18, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James, who's biologically a half-brother of Jesus, has status when it comes to superheroes. He has authority when he says, that guy was just a guy, just like you and just like me. Anybody else saying that? It might come off a little arrogant. Come on, Moses was a guy just like you and me. We could get the Shekinah glory of God on it, right? No, it would sound so smug, but James is just being candid. He's like, dude, you guys for thousands of years have read the story of this incredible encounter with God and Elijah was just a guy just like you're a guy or a gal. And all they did was listen to God and obey and pray and God showed up. Why wouldn't you access the power? Why wouldn't you wanna access the power? Let me give you the life hack before I run out of time. It's not helpful if it's not practical. So here's the life hack. Here's how we do it. First things first, pray in every circumstance. It's three parts. Pray in every circumstance. Pray when it's going well, pray when it's going rough. Pray when you're excited, pray when you are facing trouble. What kind of trouble should I pray for? Every kind of trouble. I don't understand, that's just the right kind of trouble. Should I pray at this point? Yes. <laughs> every kind of trouble, pray. Pray in every circumstance. Take the time, do it. Pray debt free. Pray debt-free. He says, confess, deal with your stuff. Jesus says, confess, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You should pray debt-free. Unhook the baggage that you carry into the room when you pray. Here's the thing. When, when James says the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective, I think sometimes we don't pray because we're concerned that we don't fit the category of people that God listens to. 
because we know our baggage. It's not just we're unsure if this is something we should be praying for. We're unsure if anyone should be listening to us. God, why would you listen to me, a sinner? Why would you do something when I pray? And that's why James is so specific. Confess, deal with the stuff. Get the stuff out of there that you're dealing with. And here's the reason why. Because we have access to his half-brother. Who was it in between us and God, providing for us the freedom, the wholeness, the purity that we need to access God. We don't need a curtain anymore. We don't need a priest anymore. We can go directly to the presence of God because of what Jesus accomplished. So stop carrying your baggage around. You weren't designed to carry it anyways. It doesn't shock God. It hasn't surprised God. So just give it to him. I got baggage. I can't pray. Nope. Just pray debt-free. Some of you like to live debt-free. You can take that to every other area. He's like, just pray debt-free. Don't carry that baggage around. And the last thing, he says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. What does that word mean, earnestly? Sincerely, from an intense conviction. Pray what must be. You know, earlier we talked about uh, in the series, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives so that you can just benefit yourself and not what God wants to do. James says, Elijah prayed earnestly. He prayed sincerely. He prayed according to wanting God's best. And here's the thing. James over and over again says, you have the ability to get wisdom. You have the ability to align your mind and heart with God's will. And when you align your mind and heart with God's will, then the prayers that you're praying are gonna be earnest prayers. He says, you can pray God's will and you can see God's hand move. And when you do that, crazy, ridiculous, amazing things, like no rain can happen. That's insane. That's exciting. That's liberating. That's the life hack. So would you stand with me? And I wanted to leave some time here at the end. And so I, I jumped through some hoops and I just think the Lord's doing what he's doing. But I think there's a couple of different kinds of people in the room today. And for some of you, <laughs> there's been trouble. And for whatever reason, you haven't been praying like you believe that God answers prayer. Because if you were, you couldn't stop praying about your circumstance. It would be relentless. You'd wake up, all right, God, I need you. You'd go to bed, okay, God, I need you. You get in the car, you're like, all right, God, before I press, I need you. You go to swipe your card. All right, God, I need you. Right, whatever. Maybe you are praying that one. And some of that, it runs the gamut. You either haven't been confident in trouble. You've been wrestling with weight that you've been carrying. And today, you just, before we leave, we need to worship and you need to pray. And you just need to say, God, here's my situation. Here's what it is. And you need to take responsibility for that. James is like, you have to do that part. No one can do that for you. And for some of you, when we blew through this a little bit, but you haven't enjoyed and sang songs of praise because of what God's done. And maybe you've been carrying someone else's weight and that's just robbing the joy that you should be experiencing. But it's been a good season. Your kids are okay. They're all okay. 
you're, you're doing okay. Not everything's not there. And if you went to negativeness, you could find a list of things that aren't great, but you could take a moment right now, come on now, and sing a song of praise and feel guilt-free about that. And you need to do that today. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. The worship team's gonna lead us. And whatever you need to do, you do. And then I'll close this and we'll get out of here. Is that fair? All right. God, in this moment, we just wanna be honest, integrous, we want to approach boldly the throne of God. We want to pray the way, Jesus, you told us to pray sincerely to our Father who's in heaven. We want to pray your will into our circumstance, and we want to praise you for all of the ways that you have shown up, you will show up, you continue to show up, because that is who you are. So we press in in this moment to have an honest moment with you. In Jesus' name.